This morning we are continuing our series through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5. And we're going to be talking about something today that we as American Christians are a little less familiar with than our fellow Christians all around the world. And I think that's changing, but we are a little less familiar with it, and that is persecution. Now, I know that sounds like a real downer of a topic, but it actually isn't. Because today, the Lord has a message for us that is really going to encourage us. You see, in the story we're going to read today, God wants us to see that Christ's work through his church cannot be stopped by the opposition of human beings. And because persecution can't stop the Spirit's work through the church, we're going to learn today that we need to live ready and eager to face persecution or at least champion those who do. So let's get into it. We're in Acts chapter 5, and the story begins in verse 17 and goes all the way to the end of the chapter. I know that's a long uh, story, but it's an exciting story, so let's jump into it. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I love that. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came those and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and set to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodius rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas the Galilean grew up, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, 
and all who follow him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story and we thank you for what it's telling us, what it's teaching us, what it's reminding us. Lord, we realize that the persecution we read about that the church is born with at the very beginning, 2,000 years ago, has endured for, for centuries and millennia and is happening all around the world, even today. Lord, for us, uh, we may not be living and experiencing the brunt of it at all like people are around the world, our brothers and sisters. But Lord, we want to learn from this today. We want to be encouraged by this today, and we need you to teach us. So open our hearts and our minds. Spirit of God, we ask you to speak. We want to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to find out today, what we see in this story today, and what we want to learn, what we will learn today, is that persecution never works. It never works. At least, it doesn't work in the way the persecutors intend it always backfires. And there's several reasons for that. And we're going to look at those reasons today. What is it about persecution? What, what backfires when persecution happens? But before we get to that, we need to ask a couple of other questions. First of all, why do Christians get persecuted? Now, for some of you who are new to the faith or considering becoming a Christian, this whole persecution business might sound a little strange. Why do Christians fixate on this? Why do they talk about persecution all the time? Uh, or maybe this is the first time you've heard Christians talk about persecution. You're kind of curious about that. And of course, you probably think, well, a lot of people who believe really strongly in what they believe for uh, end up sometimes you know, paying the price for that. And that's true of Christians as it is for anyone else. But there's something different going on here for, for us as Christians. It's important to see that. You see, Christians aren't getting persecuted just for some cause. And it's not something where we, we're looking to be persecuted. We kind of call that a, a martyr complex. Now, that's an important word, martyr. It's actually a biblical word. It means witness. It's actually used here in this passage. When Peter says, we are witnesses, in verse 32, the actual word that we translate into English, martyr, the actual word that was written in, in ancient Greek was, is that word martyr. We translate it witness. But what does it mean to have a, a martyr complex? Well, that's somebody who's trying to get their own attention and own glory or, or just it's a selfish thing that they're trying to accomplish by being the victim christians are, when they get persecuted are not trying to get persecuted in order to get some kind of weird attention that's not it at all uh, why do christians get persecuted then well very simply because we preach jesus now this is important because the jesus the kind of jesus we preach is the reason we get persecuted there's a lot of different versions of Jesus out there. Now, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the high priest and his council would have been happy if the, the apostles would have gone on talking about Jesus as long as it would conform to what they wanted them to say about Jesus. They didn't want him 
to be, they didn't want to blame them for killing Jesus. They didn't want to talk about Jesus' resurrection. You talked about Jesus all day long, about maybe his teaching and some of the other miracles he did, but leave it at that. The apostles weren't willing to do that. And that's true even today. And it's been true for 2,000 years. You see, we get persecuted because we preach a Jesus who's not just merely a good teacher or even some prophet or miracle worker. No one's going to really persecute you for teaching about Jesus in those ways. The, the, what we do get persecuted for is teaching about the Jesus who demands that we renounce every other allegiance and submit our lives to him. That's, that's why we get persecuted, because we preach the Jesus whose death and resurrection subvert every man-made religion on the planet. That's what brings about persecution. The Jesus uh, that we're talking about here is the Jesus who demands that we bow the knee to him and him alone. That's what gets us in trouble. If we preach a Jesus that is fine with uh, whatever you want to do with your life and he's your co-pilot and he's happy to take his place among all the other gods or all the other things that you look to for uh, meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction and guidance in your life, if Jesus is one of several of those, you're not going to get persecuted for that kind of Jesus. But the Jesus we find in the Bible, the Jesus who himself ended up on a cross, we preach that Jesus and we will, be, we will suffer. We will be persecuted. I start out by saying, and this is kind of unfamiliar territory for us here in America because largely we haven't experienced this kind of persecution that we're reading about here. Especially for some of us who are older, uh, you know, the country's really changing in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Things have started to really change. Now more than ever, talking about Jesus and the way that he is unfiltered here, that will bring about rejection from our society today. That will bring about condemnation. It's going to start to really cost you something to follow Jesus. And we need to pray for those, the next generation of Christians who are following in our footsteps because it's going to cost them something that it didn't have to cost us as Christians here in America. And so this is important for us to hear today. Jesus made this clear in John 15, 18. He said, look, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus said. If it hates you, look, that's... It's part of the deal. You align yourself with me, and the world's not going to like it. it. It doesn't tolerate me, Jesus says. And so this is why Christians get persecuted. But what does persecution actually accomplish? And this is what the story is all about. Because the irony here in this story is that persecution doesn't silence the apostles, they get thrown in prison. God miraculously releases them and directs them to go and, and repeat the whole reason they got thrown into prison. Then even 
a respected rabbi, Gamaliel, stands up and says, hey, guys, before you start thinking about doing something really bad to these dudes, remember that if this is a man-made thing, it's just going to fizzle out. I think Gamaliel was thinking it's just going to fizzle out. But the irony is, is that Gamaliel happens to say, but if it's something that God is doing, well, we better watch out because if it's something God's doing, then that's, that's going to be bigger than you. And he was right. And we see it is bigger than him. It is bigger than them. And so what does persecution actually accomplish? Well, the same thing it accomplishes then is what it accomplishes now. It just backfires. <laughs> In fact, that's what that again, that's what's going on here in this story. So there's three effects that persecution has here in this story that we can learn about and that I think will encourage us today. First of all, persecution has an effect on the gospel. The Christian message spreads further and faster when it's under fire. There's an effect on the persecuted, the believers themselves. They grow more joyful. And third, we're going to see that persecution affects the persecutors themselves. We'll see all of that in turn. So let's talk about that first effect. What does persecution accomplish? Well, it has this effect on the gospel. Instead of silencing it, it actually causes it to spread further and faster than before. Why is this? Well, it's because people are willing to die for what they believe in and more than just die for what they believe in, they're willing to live for what they believe in. They're willing to have their lives really be transformed by this message. They actually begin to change. The world sees that they don't have the same value system of them. And for many people watching, that's attractive. They see the contrast. It's not just that Christians are courageous. A lot of people are willing to suffer and die for things they believe in, and they're very courageous. It's not just that they're courageous. It's not just that they have this great zeal for their faith. There's a lot of people who have zeal for their religion. No, there's something deeper going on here. The world looks in and says, these, it's not just these people are willing to die for something. It's these, these people are willing to live for something. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's why they're persecuted, because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, this is, this is something that we, we need to see is that honor and privilege because people look in and they see our lives. Now, uh, we've uncovered this letter. It's called the Epistle to Diognetus. It's a very ancient letter um, dating back to the first couple hundred years of Christianity, maybe even earlier than that. And in this uh, epistle, it's, it's quite amazing um, this writer, we don't know who it is, is writing to this man, Diognetus, and is explaining uh, the way Christians live and, and why they get persecuted. So you're, this is a glimpse into the early church from this letter that we found, um, and it's pretty remarkable. Let me, let me read to you from the epistle to Diognetus. 
The author says, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language nor the customs they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines. But these Christians, inhabiting Greek as well as uh, barbarian cities, according to the lot each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens. They share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They have children, but they don't destroy their offsprings, talking about infanticide. They have a common table, but not a common bed. We're talking about the fact that they share all things, but they, they don't do that when it comes to sexual relations. They are in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they're citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time, surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They're unknown and condemned. They're put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They're in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They're dishonored, and yet in their dishonor, they're glorified. They're evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They're reviled and blessed. They're insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened to life. And it goes on to say, those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for the hatred. They just persecute them. Because look at the way they live. And this is the thing. When persecution comes, it only amplifies the testimony and the lives of Christians. And that causes the gospel message to spread. One church father put it this way. He says, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust, mow us down. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, he says. You know, bring it on. It won't stop us, he's saying. Now, that's just something that should cause us to stop and really think, isn't it? Stop and really think about what effect adversity has on our faith. Any kind of adversity. It doesn't have to be persecution. Adversity comes in, and, and all that ought to do is amplify who we are in Jesus, what our values really are, what we really believe, what we're really willing to live for, and yes, sometimes die for. Any kind of adversity should do that. We see that for the, the apostles in this story, they couldn't be, they couldn't be manipulated by fear and threats. They knew that persecution was something that they ought to expect. Jesus told them. And because of that, their lives, it just caused the message to spread more and more. That's what persecution does. That's the first effect. There's a second effect the persecution has, not just on the gospel, but the, the persecution has an effect on Christians, 
on believers. Guess what happens to Christians when they're under fire? They become more joyful. Now, this is amazing. I mean, I've, I've had the privilege in my life of being able to be with uh, pastors from the underground church in China, these Chinese brothers, and on several occasions have been able to travel out uh, to Asia and spend some time with these men and do teaching and training and hear their stories and how they came to faith and what life is like for them. And you know what's amazing? These men are so filled with joy. It's almost to me, I look at what their, their lives have. They don't have much. They live in, in, in conditions that would be very hard for me to deal with for very long, and yet they have joy. Always makes me question, am I grounding my joy in the things I have, the comforts I enjoy here? Because I'm seeing men like that, willing to suffer and suffer the loss of their livelihood and separation from their families and spending time in jail and constant harassment and constant surveillance and and yet they have this abiding joy you should hear them when they sing their songs of praise and when they pray together you sense the presence of God same thing I've experienced when I've been in North India one of the least evangelized places on the planet. Been in cities and villages and towns. And there's a joy among the Christians there, even though they, they suffer greatly for their faith and are suffering for their faith. And yet they have joy. Why? Because they sense the presence of God. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6, Blessed are you. When people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, Jesus says. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now that is something to really try to get our hands around. Where are we going to find joy in suffering? In being persecuted for the name of Jesus, we find joy there? Yes. Remember the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is just this temporary experience, usually just based on conditions. It's, it's emotional, comes and goes. Joy is something different. Joy is an eternal perspective. That's why even at, at, at funerals, especially funerals of those who have uh, died in the faith, we could be weeping tears of grief, or tears of joy, even in our grief. We can have joy because we have an eternal perspective. And so that's what, what the Lord Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of joy we can have. We can rejoice because we know God is with us when we have persecution. Jesus says in John 15, 21, all these things they'll do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They're going to do it. They don't know me. And we can be sure of that. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says this. Look, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I just think that's an amazing statement Paul makes to the Philippians. He says, listen, you know what's really amazing? That God gave you a gift. That's what he says when he says granted. He's talking about gifted them. He said, not only did God gift you, the ability to believe in him, but he also gifted you the privilege of suffering for him in his name. 
Peter says it this way. He goes, look, don't be surprised when suffering comes. He says in, in 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Rejoice! That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. God's presence is with those who suffer for his sake. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. We don't have to be ashamed when we suffer <coughs> in his name. Excuse me. That's exactly what happens to the apostles in this story in verse 41 <coughs> and 42. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now that's just something that I have to constantly remind myself of. Joy is what drives us as Christians. It's central. It's what motivates us. We don't go out there looking to be persecuted. We don't want to go out looking there because we just want to be uh, mournful and in pain. It's not something that we're, that's not what we're after. We're going to preach the name of Jesus. And if, if persecution comes, if suffering comes, we know God is with us. And that's what we want. We want more of God. And if we get more of God through suffering, then so be it, as long as we have more of him. So persecution has an effect on the gospel, has an effect on Christians. It also has an effect on the persecutors because the persecutors often become the persecuted. God uses the persecution to convict them and open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Now we're going to see that in the next couple of chapters. We're going to see what happens to Saul of Tarsus who ends up putting to death the first martyr of the church, Steve. We're going to see that in the next chapter. And, and that's what's remarkable is that Paul becomes a leader of the church. It's one of the great reasons why uh, historians have a hard time disputing the resurrection because of the transformation that happens in, in someone like Saul of Tarsus. So as we think about this, look, the persecution always backfires, but it does have an effect. It, the, the gospel spreads Christians become more joyful, and the persecutors often become part of the believers. So how do we respond to all this? How should we live in light of this? Well, the same then as, as now. We need to be expectant, and we need to be encouraged. So uh, let me give you several things. First of all, let, hear me carefully here. We should expect to be persecuted. doesn't mean we go out trying to get someone to persecute us. But we should expect the persecutions to come. Like I said at the beginning, many of us, we've, we've lived this wonderful time in, in American, our American growing up where it's, we've not suffered, maybe sometimes made fun of, uh, things like that, but nothing at the level that we're reading about in the Bible and what a lot of other Christians go through. But I believe that's changing, especially for the next generation. It's going to cost them something to belong to gospel preaching, God-fearing churches. It's going to cost them something to follow Jesus. Because the Jesus we preach will not conform to what society wants us to conform to. The gospel will incite opposition. We need to be prepared for that. But we need to be able to preach Jesus no matter what it costs. We should also remember that we've got to keep preaching all the words 
of this life as the Spirit instructed, as the angel instructed the apostles when he set him free from prison, said, go and preach all the words of this life. That's a message to us. We need to continue doing that. Continue spreading the message to the world around us. We can't be afraid of what may come. In fact, we expect it's going to bring about opposition. But this is what God wants us to keep doing. We should expect that the gospel is going to undermine the world's way of working. It always does. It's a countercultural message. It's subversive to the world's way of thinking. We should expect that we're going to have to obey God rather than men. John R. W. Stott said this, To be sure, Christians are called to be conscientious citizens, and generally speaking, to submit to human authorities. But, but, if the authority concern misuses its God-given power to command what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then the Christian's duty is to disobey human authority in order to obey God. We better get ready here in America because I believe that we're going to have to count the cost and live that out. And we need to prepare the next generation for that. We should not expect to adopt a victim mentality now because we are the victors. Jesus has won. Now remember, this whole message today, this whole story today is that God wants to see that the church can't be stopped by the opposition of men. Persecution can't stop what the Spirit is doing through the church. We need to live ready and eager to face it if it comes, but also to champion our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. And that's why it's so important to stay connected to what's going on in the world of missions, to stay connected to what's going on in the persecuted church. I mean, think about it. Uh, here's, some, here's some numbers to think about. Uh, according to the World Watch List, this comprehensive and investigative research of 150 countries where Christians are persecuted for the faith, listen to this. It says that there's 245 million Christians in the world who experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. 245 million Christians in the world. That's about three-quarters of the size of the United States. And they, around the world, they, they suffer for their faith. That, that's one in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 4,136 Christians are, were killed for faith-related reasons in those, the top 50 uh, watchless countries in one year alone. Uh, two, over 2,600 of them were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in the top 50 uh, countries on the watch list. Over 1,200 churches uh, or Christian buildings were attacked in those top 50 uh, watch list countries. Um, I mean, think about it. Every month, 105 churches, every month, are attacked, burned, or vandalized in the top 50 countries on the world watch list. Every day, 11 Christians are killed every day for their faith in those top 50 countries. So we need to stay connected to what's going on in the world out there. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are enduring persecution. It's not wrong to pray that the persecution will end, but like our Chinese brothers uh, asked, and our, our brothers in, in North India as well, we don't need to pray for the persecution to end. We need to pray for the, the 
Christian believers to endure joyfully like the apostles and to see the word continue to spread because persecution will never shut it down. I encourage you to really consider taking a mission trip where you can go and spend some time with some of these persecuted believers if you can. I have several times. I've taken others with me. It'll change the way you think about your own faith. It'll really challenge you. That's a good thing. It'll also bring you home ready to share with uh, maybe the next generation how they need to be ready. Let's end the message today with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for helping us think through this topic of persecution and just seeing the courage and boldness of the apostles that your spirit gave them, obviously, and the effect that persecution had, completely not what the persecutors wanted. The persecution, human opposition can never stop what you do, Lord. We are on the side of victory. Lord, we love you. Lord, and, and we realize that one day, for some of us, it may come to real persecution. Help us be ready, Lord, and help us to ready the next generation. Lord, help us to stay vigilant in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world and for those churches around the world that face persecution on a regular basis, that their testimony would endure, that their witness would continue to sound forth in parts of the world where people need to see and hear about Jesus. Let them see and hear through the, the willingness of people to stand and be counted as one of yours. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.